Hi, I'm David Kyes, and I run R for the Rest of Us. You may think of R as a tool for complex statistical analysis, but it's much more than that. From data visualization to efficient reporting to improving your workflow, R can do it all. On this podcast, I talk with people about how they use R in unique and creative ways. Join me and learn how R can help you. Well, I'm delighted today to be joined by Kyle Walker. Uh, Kyle Walker is Associate Professor of Geography, Director of the Center for Urban Studies at Texas Christian University, and also a consultant um, who helps folks with uh, geospatial stuff in general, uh, a bunch of different things there. Um, so Kyle, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, David. I appreciate being on. I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing. And uh, we learn we're, we're fellow Oregonians. At least I'm a displaced Oregonian. Yeah, I'm a, I'm the opposite. I'm in some ways the more typical Oregonian. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm the one who, who moved here um, 10 years ago. Um, cool. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because you have developed several packages, but the one we're going to talk about today uh, is called Tidy Census. And um, we'll get into that a bit more um, in a few minutes. But just to give people an overview, Tidy Census is a package that allows you to interface directly with data and get data directly from the Census Bureau, um, which has been a huge time saver for me in my work. Um, but first, before we get into that, um, I wonder if you could just give me kind of an overview of your background and how you kind of came to the point, or maybe even before we get into the Tidy Census, how you, how you started using R um, and how that fits with kind of your background? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's kind of a circuitous route, which is one reason that I'm particularly excited to be on this podcast and titled R for the rest of us. That's very much how I came to R. And so uh, I'm from Oregon originally, did my undergrad at the University of Oregon, studied geography, really was far more interested in foreign languages than programming languages. Um, so I majored in French as well in undergrad and then went on to do a PhD in geography at Minnesota. And really my goal was... Uh, I was more interested in the qualitative side of research, doing interviews, and picked up a little geographic information systems, GIS along the way, but really didn't devolve in grad school much beyond point and click software, like uh, desktop GIS software, point and click SPSS. And so I was first introduced to our... Um, in graduate school, my advisor encouraged me to take a stats class uh, outside of our college. So over uh, in the statistics department, which is very well regarded at Minnesota. And I'll tell you, it was not love at first sight. Um, first day of the class, I remember it pretty distinctly. I was taught by a grad student and the teaching style was basically, this was before our studio. The teaching style was the instructor had this long text file of our commands and would spend the entire class period copy pasting them into the console while we all frantically tried to type down everything that he did. And I just, I just didn't get it. I remember the first exercise he asked us to do. He said, okay, uh, use R to generate a five by five matrix of zeros and then use a for loop to replace all the, the values in the diagonal with ones. 
And I had never written a line of code in my life before. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about. And I ended up auditing the class and it turned me off from R, frankly, for years. I didn't touch it again for three years. So I ended up getting a job in, in New York City. Uh, we moved out there because my wife got promoted with her company. And I found a job in New York City doing GIS for a pension fund. And uh, I was just doing point and click ArcGIS work, uh, which was valuable, but it wasn't reproducible. And I had a colleague uh, who worked with me and he would look over at, at my screen and he would say, you know, how do you remember anything that you did? And I didn't have a good answer for that because I wasn't documenting any of my work. The point and click software was sort of pushing me into, I would say, bad habits. And so I started to fiddle around with coding a little bit. I learned a little Stata. Um, I learned a little Python uh, to automate some of my GIS work. But where I really got into R was toward the end of my stay at that pension fund and then my, really my first year at TCU. And I came across, like I think many people in the field did, that famous video that Hans Rosling did with the moving bubbles that show changes in life expectancy and income levels by country over 200 years. And I was enthralled by that video. And I wanted to learn how to make those types of visualizations. And so I started looking into it. Oh, do I need to learn JavaScript to do this? Do I need to learn D3? Uh, and that was, you know, that was an uphill battle. I bought some books and, and tried to go the D3 route. But really where I ultimately was able to move in there was exploring R. I came back to R. I had a bad experience with R a few years prior. But R had evolved to the point that there were some libraries that had come out. And this was around 20, this was around 2012. This was around 10 years ago now. Um, that either were an interface to the old Google Charts API that did Gapminder style bubble charts or some really exciting innovations at that time pioneered by people like um, Ramnath Vaidyanathan, who's at Data Camp now, uh, Kenton Russell, who's Timely Portfolio on Twitter, uh, who were working on this library called R Charts, which was basically an R interface to a bunch of D3 interactive visualization libraries. And I wanted to use these in my teaching. And so that was the motivation to get back into R. It, Interestingly, wasn't statistics. Um, it wasn't heavy-duty programming. I didn't learn to write code. I didn't write my really learn to write code until I was almost thirty years old. And it was too. I wanted to make these interactive graphics to use for my students in class, and R was the gateway to that. And then eventually, you just kind of build on top of that. And I started to enjoy it more because I had something specific that I could create with it. Yeah, that's it's funny. I mean, there's so many things there, but I've taught. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who had a terrible first experience with R, and in some ways, it's it's a real testament testament to R that people come back to it in spite of those terrible initial experiences because what you went through is is unfortunately, I think, very common. Um, so. And I think the other thing is, you know, coming coming at it with a really specific use case in mind yeah. is so important as opposed to 
having some kind of general, you know, oh, I want to learn to do something fun in R, but it doesn't mean anything until you really have something there. Um, so talk about, like, I know when you um, were working at the pension fund doing kind of point and click um, stuff, um, and like you said, you know, you you took the the path that many people do where you feel like, oh, I should write down what I, you know, the steps that I'm going through. But as I think we all know, that doesn't happen very much. Right. You're um, on so a deadline and you, exactly. you just need to do it. Everyone knows you should do it. Nobody actually does it. <laughs> so talk about the difference in your workflow between that and and what you have now in a in a code-based environment where you're working with R. It's a great question. You know, I think back to that professional experience and I mean, it really was a transformative point. You look back at those little times that change your career. And, you know, when my colleague, my, my friend, Derek Darbs, he, he looks over at my computer and says, like, how do you remember anything that you did? And it just light bulb goes up. Well, I, I guess I don't know. I just sort of remember it. And then I started writing down in a Word document step by step the steps I was taking. But at the end of the day, it was still pretty limiting. I mean, I remember talking to my boss. He asked me to do something. And I don't remember what the specific task was, but there wasn't a tool in ArcGIS to do it. So it's the kind of thing that frankly would involve using some sort of in R map or L apply type workflow where you had to really iterate through something. And I didn't know how to do that. So I told my boss, well, it can't be done, which is really not something you should tell your boss. <laughs> and I ended up getting away with it. But that, that was the thing. I was in, in the old workflow, I was very much constrained by what the software could do. And frankly, desktop GIS software is very powerful software. You can do a lot with it. And if you do, do learn to script with it, you can extend it. But at the end of the day, you're still more limited. You're, you're constrained to a degree by what the software can do. With R, what's different about it, certainly there's the reproducibility piece where you can document everything that you have done and show where you went wrong and then fix it. That is massively important. But... R is in many ways sort of the gateway to so many other pieces of software. And that is immensely empowering. I've heard R described as the ultimate user interface. You know, R allows us to interact with these other technologies that if you're learning each of those technologies by themselves, can quickly get overwhelming. Oh, I need to learn GIS and I need to learn LaTeX to compile documents, or I need to learn JavaScript so I can make web maps or interactive graphics, or I need to learn SQL so I can interact with databases. And this is not to dismiss the value of any of those technologies or any of those skills, but the fact that you can have a central portal through which you can actually engage with all of these technologies and then bring them together into a single workflow is immensely empowering. I mean, coming from a geographic information systems background, and frankly, one of the core motivations for writing Tidy Census, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is exactly that. All of these things where you'd need four or five different technologies to get it done, you can put it all together in a single technology and accomplish what you need. That's the big difference. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a really good rundown of kind of how R allows you to kind of spread your tentacles and do all these things. I mean, for me, for example, um, I came from Excel, and mm -hmm. so when I started using R, it was very much like, okay, I, I I was doing just you know simple descriptive statistics in Excel. Um, let me see, let me see how this works in R. Yeah. And it was once I started really getting into R, I was like, oh, I could use this to, for example, make maps, which is not even something I had considered um, doing it in Excel. And I don't know, maybe I haven't used Excel much recently. Maybe there are ways to do it now, but at least when sure. I was using Excel, it just wasn't even a thing. So I think in a lot of ways, the benefit of R is not just, you know, kind of recreating what you've done in other tools, but like opening your mind to think about working in new ways that absolutely never done before um which actually sort of gets us into tidy census um so before i dig into the kind of nuts and bolts of tidy census can you walk through how you got from okay i'm going to learn r so i can make some things to show students in my classes to developing a package that you know allows you to access data directly from the census bureau what was what were the steps involved to get you to that point it's a that's a good question. Yeah, I, I find it to be kind of an, an interesting path because, again, I can't emphasize enough, I never thought of myself as package developer or software developer. I didn't learn to code till I was almost 30 years old. And I didn't see myself as a programmer. And I think that's something I tell my students a lot. You know, in some cases, you know, students will come in to my classes and they'll say, well, I'm not a computer person. I'm not a software person. And I say, well, you have to stop right there. For one, if you have a smartphone, you're already a computer person and you're programming by knowing the sequence of buttons or, or apps to tap to do things. So you just have to reorient yourself. But also, you know, you know, thinking about their trajectories. And this is one thing that I think is really great about the R community. You have these vastly different trajectories where you don't have to be sort of the genius 11-year-old who's designing software um, in middle school. Uh, you, can, you have people who have come to it from a variety of backgrounds. And so thinking about the evolution of Tiny Census, you know, I really started engaging in our programming around, again, 2012, 2013, around uh, Ramnath's R charts infrastructure. And there are a few people who are kind of making charts and, and, and tweeting them out. So the early sort of R stats Twitter community was pretty important for me getting started out. And I've always worked very heavily with data from the Census Bureau. Coming from the University of Minnesota, my tool of choice has long been NHGIS, the National Historical Geographic Information System, which is a wonderful project that um, provides sort of harmonized and kind of aligned spatial and, uh, and tabular data that you can download. Um, but like many census analysts, uh, I was very accustomed to and used to going to the census website and going through all the steps. So, okay, I need to get my spatial data. So I'm going to go to the Tigerline Shapefiles website. I navigate through the menus. I'm going to pull down the data that I need. I'm going to unzip it. I'm going to load it into ArcGIS. Now I need to get my demographic data. 
So I'm going to go to what was then American Fact Finder, find the right tabulation, pull that down as a CSV, load that into ArcGIS. Now I need to join the tables together. Oh, but the sort of ID column in the shape file and the ID column in the CSV file, one is coded character and one is coded integer, and I can't make the join. So I need to modify that. And this was sort of the process. And I wrote a lab for my introductory GIS students to do this because I knew it was important that they learn how to work with census data. And they just, the amount of time that they were spending on it, I would feel bad about it because it was a laborious process to get through. And this was for one analysis. Every single analysis, you would have to do this. And so I started dabbling a little bit in our package development, um, Red Hadley's book on, on our packages, and made my own personal R package. Uh, it's still up there on GitHub if you want to see it. It's kind of clunky, but it does a few things. It's called KWGO. And then started kind of experimenting uh, with some of these things. And so um, just talking through, uh, you know, interacting, it was on, on Twitter again, and I, someone had tweeted out kind of, I, I wish there were a package that brought in census shape files into R and automatically did that. And uh, a friend of mine, Eli Knapp, who's uh, working out at the uh, at UC Riverside, uh, said, well, Kyle, why don't you do that? And so I thought, sure, this has always been tedious. I don't like going to the census website every time and pulling the shape files. If I can do that in R, that would be fantastic. And that was the Tigris package. And so wrote Tigris first back in 2015. And I didn't really know what I was doing. But uh, Bob Rudis, for those of you in the sort of the RStats Twitter community, is one of the most prominent voices. He noticed the package. He just sort of came in and volunteered his time to wow. make it actually work. And, um, you know, now nearly <laughs> half a million downloads later, it's, uh, it, it's pretty heavily used. So, so Tigris was um, really my first major R package. But moving into Tidy Census... After Tigris came out, I started getting some uh, consulting requests and, and people would sort of ask me to give talks on the package. And I was using Tigris pretty heavily in my own work to really bring in the spatial data, but I didn't have a sort of a seamless way to get the demographic data as well. And that was frustrating that the process was still fairly slow. And so I started writing some scripts that automated the process, basically used R to pull down some census data from the API and then kind of join that with Tigris automatically to get enriched sort of spatial and demographic data. And I started to think, well, you know, this could be an R package. And this is something that, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you can work with this data, but this is something I would use all the time. If I could have something where I could literally just say, give me income data for Multnomah County, Oregon with spatial data and I can map it right away and I can do that in a line of code, that would be phenomenal. And it would make my work so much easier. 
And so I ended up just kind of digging in for a few months and, and writing the package. And uh, the response was really, really good. It's one of those things when you develop in our package, sometimes the community picks it up. Sometimes it's mostly something you use for yourself. But, uh, but people have found Tidy Census really useful. And, and that, that makes me really happy. Though, frankly, if, even if the package weren't successful, I would have still saved so much time because it is literally software that I use every single day. And uh, so that, that was sort of the evolution, maybe a long-winded yeah. evolution of the package, but it's kind of how it yeah. came to be. I mean, that's interesting that I, I didn't realize, I guess, that you did the Tigris package for getting shapefiles first. And yeah. it was only after that that then you realized, oh, Tidy Census would, would kind of uh, meet a need as well. Because for me personally, I, I, did, I came to Tidy Census first mm -hmm. um, because all I, at that point, I wasn't, maybe I was doing a little bit of mapping. But I wanted, um, you know, just to get, automate the process of getting data from the Census Bureau. And so Tidy Census was great. And then later on, I realized, oh, this guy, Kyle, has also written this package called Tigris that allows me, if I just want to get shapefiles, or you can, within Tidy Census, bring in those shapefiles alongside the demographic files, yeah. which is, is super handy. So um, this section of my book talking about... Uh, you know, ways of automating your work. And it's using mm -hmm. Tidy Census as an example of interfacing, of working with an API. Yeah. Um, if so, I know like people just coming to programming here, API, and I know for me, like it was, it was kind of a scary thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, so can you explain for someone who, who's not familiar, what, what is an API and how does it work in the context of Tidy Census? It's a great question. And frankly, it is something. <laughs> that you know often is useful to demystify because you know i teach i teach at tcu i've been teaching for several years now um basically an intro to data analysis and visualization using python um for frankly non-cs students so mostly liberal arts and journalism and pr students take the class in some business and so the the class is designed in a way to kind of here are these programming concepts. How do we make them intelligible outside of someone who's deeply embedded in software engineering? And APIs are intimidating at the outset. For one, what is an application programming interface? You know, that sounds kind of intimidating. And it's especially intimidating if you see in a, a, a JSON endpoint which looks like a web address. And then you put it in your web browser and it spits out just this huge block of JSON and you look at it. If you haven't seen anything like that before and think, what on earth is this? And so basically the way that I like to describe an API, um, at least in terms of web data resources, so a data API, is a way that you can access data programmatically over the internet. So there are lots of different ways to access data. You can go to a website and you can download an Excel spreadsheet or download a CSV file. You can connect to a database. There are lots of different ways to do it. Where an API is really useful is it exposes data in sort of a developer-friendly format 
So a format that can be readily consumed by another website or a programming language like R or Python and allows you to stream that data directly into your application. So it's just trying to make it so developers can get access to data. And, you know, when I'm teaching about APIs, we will interact with um, a variety of APIs. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. So Fort Worth, like many large cities, has a contract with Socrata to build out an open data API. And so we kind of, we step through it. You know, JSON isn't so intimidating. It's just key value pairs rather than rows and columns. But um, really kind of demystifying that and showing this is just a different way of thinking about data ends up being pretty important. And where Tidy Census comes in, what Tidy Census tries to do is all of the tedious aspects of getting census data, it tries to do that for you so that you can focus on the fun aspects of census data. So making maps is fun. Analyzing data and finding out insights about your community is fun and interesting. But setting up a connector to an API or figuring out how to align columns in Emerge, it's, it's more tedious. And so Tidy Census tries to take away all the tedious stuff and do it for you. So what Tidy Census will do is users will request for a given level of aggregation. We call that geography. So in census terms, um, there are what we call enumeration units, which are, are kind of or statistical areas, if you've heard of a census tract or a census block group, these are sort of small areas at which the census tabulates data. And then also what are called legal entities, so counties and states, which are both levels of aggregation in the census and uh, kind of actual government units. And so you request data, say, for counties, um, and then you plug in one or more census variable codes. And what Tidy Census will do is it will assemble all that information and construct a call to the census open data API. It will go to the appropriate endpoint, which is typically the data set um, from which you're requesting data. It will communicate with that, the census website, bring the data back. The data comes back in JSON format, so JavaScript object notation. And then Tidy Census does all the work of tidying up that JSON for you. So I, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you could get data back. Um, Tidy Census returns data in the format that I like the best. Um, and so it's kind of following Hadley Wickham's concept of tidy data by default. So it's what we'll typically call long form data, but it'll do all that sort of reshaping internally and, and give you back the data. So that's, that's kind of the yeah. process by which it works. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I was going to ask like, why, why tidy census? Um, because there's, there is one other, what's the, it's like census API or there's some other yeah. package, right? That, that, that goes, I, to be honest, I've never used it. I know it goes beyond 
what Tidy Census does in terms of allowing you to access different types of data or something. I, I don't know the specifics, but I know one other thing that differentiates it is that the tidy aspect that you your package tidy census is very focused on getting data into that tidy format so explain why why you designed it i guess in that way yeah I, that's a good question so um hana rect is the developer of census that's API. Right. uh i mean she's fantastic brilliant programmer and uh, if you haven't seen her data journalism work uh it's it's really really good stuff and and census api is is a massive accomplishment. Um, and it's a package that I use quite regularly. So Census API is uh, another package that connects with the Census APIs. It has sort of allied goals to Tidy Census, but, but different goals. So Tidy Census, and the reason why I wrote it um, was I wanted a package that gave back census data for the data sets that I used that allowed for automated joining with spatial data because I needed spatial census data for my projects uh, in consulting and in my academic research. And so I have, I'm pretty opinionated about the format that I like to work with. And so I wrote the package, frankly, originally just for my own work. I thought, you know, this is something I want to have. And so I'm going to make it um, and then I'll open source it. If somebody else finds it useful, great. You know, if nobody else finds it useful, that's fine um, because I'm still going to use it. Hana's package, and the reason why I say it's a, it's a tremendous accomplishment is it actually connects to every single Census API endpoint. Wow. And Census has hundreds of data sets, some of which you probably never even heard of. Uh, the big ones are the decennial census and the American Community Survey. So for listeners who are less familiar, the decennial U.S. census uh, is a complete count of the U.S. population, takes place every 10 years, and focuses on a select number of demographic characteristics of the U.S. population, such as race, age, sex, and occupancy. The American Community Survey is an annual survey of a subset of U.S. households, around three and a half to four million U.S. households now. And they do it every year on a rolling basis. And that asks all sorts of other demographic questions. So um, the core demographic questions like race, ethnicity, age, sex, but also education, income, uh, kind of housing tenure, um, housing stock, family status, uh, lots of other things. Uh, and so um, Tidy Census focused originally on those two data sets and over the years has incorporated with the help of my co-author, Matt Herman, who joined as co-author a few years ago. Uh, it's incorporated a few other data sets, including uh, individual level microdata, which is one of my favorite features of the package, and then migration flows data and, uh, and the population estimates. We're always sort of adding new features as we go. Census API automatically connects. HANA wrote the package to be generalizable, so you can actually go in and you specify which data set you want, and it provides a single general interface through a function called getCensus to any of those um, Census API endpoints. It's... Uh, 
it's a, it's a challenge to maintain. Certainly, I, I admire the work that she does quite a bit because you know these APIs change from time to time, and uh, occasionally modifications are made. It returns the data in more, I would say, a rawer format than Tidy Census does. Tidy Census does uh, some sort of opinionated data wrangling uh, internally. If you want something more raw from the Census API that's closer to what um, the actual request gives back, then the Census API package is a good good place to look. Gotcha. So it brings it in, does that wrangling, basically puts it in a, in a tidy format, which um, I'm actually in the process right now of teaching people about tidy data as a concept and the sure. the logistics of getting your data in a tidy format that's that's a huge a huge benefit to be able to you know access data from decennial census ACS and a few other things and get that data back in that tidy format is a is a huge time saver um, great is there anything else you think would be useful to talk about you know, honestly um, again being able to do this quickly. It was my major motivation for writing the package and what this opens up are there are so many different kind of maps you can make. So um, I have a book coming out. It's yeah. called Analyzing U.S. Census Data, Methods, Maps, and Models in R, CRC Press this fall. You can pre-order it today. And uh, it's available also to read for free online. So, um, you know, it'd be great if you all go pick up a copy. Because yeah. you know, that helps me maintain the free version, but it is free. And chapter six, which incidentally is the most visited chapter of the book by far, um, is all about mapping census data. So you can learn in here how to make all sorts of types of maps, dot density maps, which I quite like, uh, graduated symbol maps, interactive maps. Um, there are a lot of different options that you can explore. And, you know, frankly, that's what often excites me the most when I see people using Tidy Census, because this is the creative part of analyzing and visualizing data. And if Tidy Census help people get to that creative aspect of their data work faster, then there's so many interesting things that can be done with census data because they're so applicable to a wide range of different fields. And I will say as well, because David, you all have listeners from all over the world who might be saying, you know, this is, so we've got, you know, the US census data, you know, I'm interested in my country or I'm interested in a different country. So I encourage you to check out my book, chapter 12, uh, which talks about international census data and shows some resources for census data around the world. And these different methods that, that we've been talking about, uh, there are a few other packages that are really, really good that uh, can apply similar types of visualization methods to this to, uh, to non-US contexts. So. Cool. That's great. Yeah. And I get like, I, um, talking to you, you know, I'm, based in the US, I, I know, you know, a lot of folks are, and I, I use US Census Bureau data a lot, but the overall idea that you can use R as a way to access data through an API and pull it in in a way that's so much more efficient than the, 
the manual alternatives, that applies way beyond this specific tidy census example. And the nice thing about art being open source is people have made packages to allow you to access data from the Kenyan census or you know, any, other, any other source. I've been pretty shocked actually at how many, you know, the wide variety of packages that can help you do that. Um, super. Well, this has been really, really helpful. Uh, I will definitely include a link to your book. Um, where else can people find more information um, about you if they're interested in learning more about your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on the web at walker-data.com. That's my consultancy website. And so if any listeners are needing help with any of this stuff, feel free to send me a note. Uh, I work with everyone from large companies to individuals. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm often on on Twitter in terms of how active I am, but that is often where I do share new features that I'm developing. I also have a mailing list that you can join. Uh, the link to that is on the Tidy Synthesis documentation. And uh, check out my GitHub as well. So that's a good place to stay on top of new features that are coming through. Um, Tigris and Tidy Census are, are the packages that people are most familiar with, but I have a few other packages too that, that you might find useful. So uh, check out my GitHub. I'm cool. reasonably active over there as well. But uh, yeah, drop me a line if anyone wants to chat further. I'm at kyle at walker-data.com and I love hearing from people. Great. Um, well, thanks again, Kyle. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all of this with us. Yeah, of course. Thanks, David. This is a lot of fun. Thanks again for listening. I hope you found this conversation interesting. Uh, if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. David at rfortherestofus.com. Thanks.